Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, where each episode explores how to integrate timeless wisdom into everyday life. We engage in meaningful conversations with leading thinkers in philosophy, leadership, theology, and everything in between. We leave no stone unturned in search of wisdom. To learn more, visit perennialleader.com. Welcome to In Search of Wisdom. Thank you for listening. On today's episode, my guest is Simon Drew. Simon is a poet, musician, photographer, and philosophical mentor. He's someone that I've listened to many times over the years through the Practical Stoic podcast, which has now transformed into the walled garden. In the conversation, Simon and I discuss his new book, The Poet and the Sage, The Search for Wisdom, How to Find Our Passion, Cultivating Alignment in Our Lives, Where to Begin a Path to Wisdom, and much more. You can learn more about Simon and his work at thewalledgarden.com. Now, please welcome the wise and gracious Simon Drew. Well, Simon, welcome to the show. Thanks for connecting. Joshua, thanks so much for having me here. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, me too. And I, I got to say a big congrats on the first book, The Poet and the Sage. So I'm excited to to get into it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, this is actually the this is the first conversation that I've had. Actually, this is the first conversation I've had with anybody officially about, you know, not not that the whole conversation has to be about the book, but, you know, it's 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 really the first time talking about it. And so uh, uh, you get the completely raw, uh, I don't know what it's even about kind of version of my <laughs> my thoughts about this book, but I'm excited to talk about it, yeah. I love it. That'll be perfect. Uh, but before we get into the book, you know, how do you describe, you know, what what you do in the world, Simon? Well, yeah, I, I was actually thinking about this, particularly in relation to the the name of your podcast, right? In search of wisdom, because I mean, I think um, I, I've been really trying to figure that question out. What is it that I actually do? What service do I provide people? Um, and and it's you know when when you kind of decide to go off on your own and try something out for yourself and and. Um, start something. It's like you know, you know, when there are no boundaries, you start to get very uh, shaky in your understanding of who it is that you are and what you're actually providing. But I think it it actually has a lot to do with you know the title of your podcast, being in in search of wisdom. I'm 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 foraging for wisdom wherever I find it. I'm I'm constantly trying to seek that. I I've often remarked to uh, my my coaching clients that I feel like. Um, I'm trying to set my life up in such a way that I get paid to become smarter and wiser and stronger and better and to bring people into that way, you know? And so uh, I, I was thinking about this because the the path that I'm on keeps on, it's, it's always shifting, right? It's, it's always shifting. And the reason it's always shifting is because I'm after something that is always shifting, you know, and if that thing that I'm after, which is wisdom, uh, uh, transformation, um, I will go as far as to say I'm searching for some form of enlightenment, that's a thing that is 
you know, it's like the golden snitch in Harry Potter. You know, it's, it's, it shines, you know, and occasionally it'll come in front of you and it'll catch your attention, but then it's going to quickly go somewhere else and you're going to have to follow it there, right? You're going to have to catch up with it. And so my, my own journey, I would say, started, um, I'll tell you this story and, and, you know, because I think it's, it's relevant. It's, it was on my 20th birthday. I was studying music um, at the conservatorium in, in Brisbane uh, near, near my hometown. And um, one of my best friends invited me to come into the city hall and there was this speaker. I don't know if you've ever heard of Eric Thomas. He calls himself the hip-hop preacher. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hip-hop preacher. He's like this motivational speaker super loud, super in your face, you know, he'll yell at you for like an hour and you'll leave that hall just feeling on top of the world, right? You can tackle anything. There was a particular phrase that jumped out at me when I went there because I'd never really been into motivational stuff, although I was doing quite well in everything that I was doing. You know, I'd, I'd never really went to a motivational speech, but he said something. He said, information changes situations, and when he said that, something in that combination of words just hit me like a ton of bricks. And and I realized, man, I'm an idiot. I don't read. I don't seek actively new information. I'm just kind of fluffing my way through university, doing well based off my talent, not off my work. And what I decided, I'd literally, at that point in my life, I'd probably read maybe two books all the way through. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd done well at school. Like, I was a great student and everything. But, but still, uh, when it came to reading, it was not my thing. So, in the next year of my life, I decided I was going to read. And I started reading. I, by the end of the next year of my life, I read about 80 books. Um, started really opening my mind. Um, started going on an adventure, you know, to seek something better. And... Since that point, I would say the aim keeps on shifting because I'm I'm trying to refine exactly what it is that I'm looking for. And that's what brings me back to the answer to your question is what I provide people is I provide them an image of somebody who I hope is actually seeking something worthwhile like wisdom in a world that is in short supply is what I would say. I, I love that. And I'm I'm fascinated by your response of that phrase kind of as an insight, you know, from the uh, event that you went to. And, and that's a question that I generally kind of ask some in, in many of the conversations that I have is what started this search? Is there anything that, that comes to mind? So I, I find it really interesting that you pinpointed down a, as, as something that you know, maybe clicked on a, on a light bulb there. Um, how about for this, the practical stoic podcast now the walled garden, you know, you've been at this a a number of years now. Is there anything that really kind of clicked on a light bulb of I'm going to, I'm going to start this practical stoic podcast? Yeah, well, I I have to say first that it actually wasn't my first podcast. And I was thinking about this before I talked with you because my first podcast was called In Search of Good, right? Oh, nice. And uh, and that, you know, I, I decided, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to look for a few people. My idea behind the podcast was I'm going to interview one person who I know who's inspired me. And then I'm going to ask them who inspired you. I want to talk to them. And then I'm going to go to that person. And then who inspired you? I'm going to keep, keep on going around. So I did that for a little bit and that was fun. Um. But I, I was young, and so, you know, when I saw that there weren't many downloads going on, I thought, ah, let's move to something else. 
And then because I was on this real big, you know, kind of trip of information, searching around, listening to podcasts, reading books and everything, trying to really search for um, an answer to some of my life's deeper questions, I came upon Tim Ferriss and started looking into stoicism. He's obviously a big proponent of it. Um, And so then I started reading Seneca, his letters, and I found something in Seneca's letters that spoke to me. You know, when I when I talk about that moment when er- Eric Thomas, um, you know, he says information changes situations. There's something that Jim Rohn says that I think is uh, is equally insightful. He he talks about how we need to remember that words chosen carefully and seeded carefully have the power to give us sight literally that's and and that's 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 why we use the metaphor even though it's absolutely true you know we use this metaphor we say well i i didn't i didn't see this thing but then when he told me this i could see you know like like it illuminated me to something and so eric thomas's words helped me to see something immediately that i didn't see before and in that same way seneca's epistles I think what happened there is then I found a book that was full of words that were helping me to see something differently in my life, to gain an insight into a deeper wisdom that I had not yet seen. And, and you know, I'm now rediscovering just how, just, just how full my childhood was with this kind of wisdom. You know, like, I think we often get very cynical, for example, like, you know, I left the church of my youth and it's easy to get cynical of that sort of stuff. But when you grow up and you mature, you start to look back and you see, oh, hang on. Yeah, I was being taught this wisdom every week in church, you know, like real deep wisdom. But so I found Seneca and uh, what I started to do was think, you know, wow, this philosophy of stoicism is very interesting. It's transforming me it's helping me to see something different so you know at the at that point i was um i had actually already uh, spent a few months actually about a year of my life abroad traveling on cruise ships with my jazz band and you know i've been on these grand adventures playing music around the world i i met my wife came back here to australia um and uh and so i'm here and i'm thinking uh you know this this philosophy is really working wonders for me i might as well share it and uh that's what i decided to do so i started the podcast people were interested um and here we are a few years on and it's just been you know i said in i said in my episode the other day when i was kind of transferring it from the practical stoic to the world garden that it's one of the most important things i ever did because it put me in a position where i was forced to to take responsibility for my thought you know when you know this when you got a podcast it's like people are listening and this is important you need you need to transform yourself in the process and constantly be be critiquing yourself and asking am i thinking clearly am i thinking uh, reasonably am i offering something that's of value and so you know having people actually listen it forced me to transform myself and and it's just I'm so grateful to that, you know, that people actually cared enough to encourage a young student of philosophy and to, (laughs) I'll tell you this, and then I'll stop this large ramble. But I I will tell you that the first episode that I put out of that podcast, it it was so funny. I I swear, it it must have been within an hour of me releasing the first episode. I get this, this short email from a very angry and older stoic <laughs> saying like, you got this wrong, you got this wrong, do better. <laughs> and, and 
<laughs> and I'm this kid now. But that's right. Like, he was right, right? Like, he's right. Do do better. And, and I'm listening. And I want you to do better. And I care enough to send you an email to say so. And even if he was a little bit abrupt, it's like I took that on. I thought, yeah, okay. Okay. I can try. And, and so here we are. <laughs> well, I, I love it. And your passion for this search comes through in uh, someone that's listened to a, a number of your podcast episodes. Um, really, really thoughtful and, and well done. So I'm, I'm happy to chat with you. And I think I've, I've learned quite a bit from you along the way. But let's maybe talk about this transition to the walled garden and, and, uh, and why that's happening. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, um, as I mentioned, you know, my... Well, I was speaking to Kai Whiting, um, who introduced us both, actually. And, um, and uh, I was saying, you know, I'm kind of thinking of changing the name because I I love Stoicism, great philosophy, but I'm, I'm really wanting to broaden my philosophical horizons. You know, I'm, I've now recently begun studying a, a Master of Divinity, so studying theology at, at university and going in that direction. And I, I don't want to be bound by the limitations that inevitably come with labeling yourself as something, you know, n- not that there's anything wrong with belonging to a certain community, but um, people are going to make up their minds about who I am and what my journey is by the podcast. And so I wanted to change it to something that better represents the stage I am in my kind of transformation you know, something that um, really started to push me in the right direction is I, I was finishing up my music degree last year after taking a massive hiatus, but I thought, you know, I better finish this. And so I went back and I finished it. And one of the assignments that I had to do, I decided to study the works of Miles Davis. Um, such a, a brilliant, brilliant person. But one of the things you notice when you start to listen to interviews with Miles Davis on his on, on YouTube is you'll see that this is a person who, who <laughs> the reason he was able to constantly transform the state of the music industry and to transform music was because he wasn't interested in what he had done. He had no attachment to what he had done. He was interested in what he was doing next, right? And he was listening very closely to the, you might say the promptings uh, and the social sounds is what he called it. And he, he was he was trying to move. It's like, you know, George Carlin talks about the life of an artist, how they're always vaguely dissatisfied with the world. And they're, they're on a journey. They don't quite know where it's going, but they, they're happy to be on that path, right? I, I discovered recently that even before philosophy and, um, you know, before all these things that I thought I was, you know, I, I was a gym manager for years, you know, I, I was, a, I, I, I until recently identified as a jazz trumpeter, you know, which is such a limiting, you know, uh, uh, realm. But I started to see it look, before all this, I'm an artist, you know, since a young age, I, I was playing music and being creative and trying to create things. And, 
And so, you know, that's really what's led me to The Poet and the Sage, this book. It's what's led me to, you know, creating more music over the past uh, few uh, few months. And, and, and so what, I, what I've really discovered is the, the, the walled garden is the new direction because the symbolism of a walled garden is a, is a place where nature and culture come into harmony. It's a place, Jordan Peterson says that it's a place where uh, sy- symbolically and, and mythologically, it's a place where chaos can manifest itself creatively. And so I, I wanted to create this space where I can bring in more of the kind of chaotic artistic expressions of my philosophy and show people that when I'm writing poetry, I'm doing philosophy because I'm trying to seek deep wisdom. When I'm playing music, I'm doing philosophy because I'm, I'm trying to express something that you will see what I'm trying to, well, my job is to express something through my music. Your job is to figure out what the message is and to listen closely. So I wanted to show people that I'm no longer just about talking about stoicism. If I'm going to do that, then I'll label myself as a historian of philosophy, right? But that's not what I am. I'm trying to figure something out. I'm trying to attain wisdom. I'm trying to to enlighten my own mind. And I'm doing that through music and poetry and writing and philosophy and photography and art. And and so that's why I'm changing the name. It's because I'm no longer in that place of talking about stoicism. I'm trying to figure out other questions that are broader than just that. Do you ever, as, as you mentioned early in the conversation of, of the shifting and I I'm very much connect with the idea of exploring different paths and curious about a lot of different things. But sometimes I wonder and ask myself, you know, should I partic- pick a particular philosophy of life or whatever you would call it, you know, and, and follow that path. Do you ever get that, you know, inner voice or, or questions around that? Oh, oh yeah. 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 hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Like constantly throughout my entire life, you know, I've, I've been the person who starts things, but doesn't finish them. I've been the person who jumps about you know, um, I've been the wanderer, uh, and I've, I've certainly felt the, the pressure. I I would say it's a, it's a pressure more than an internal desire for me, the pressure to say, okay, what's your thing now do that. Um, and I get that. And I, and, and I think that for most people, that is a very sensible, sensible, wise path, right. To actually pick something that you're good, but, but I think, and, and, and I say this um, with, you know, with real deep gratitude that I've even been able to arrive at this place that the past year and a half of my life has been filled with those experiences of finally arriving at that place where I can sit down, you know, and I can say, this is the thing. But but I but I didn't get there by see. I kind of got there by saying, "Well, I'm this, and I'm that, and I'm this, and I'm that." You know, like I, I kept on looking about. I think, and this is why I say, I think that what I'm offering people is a picture of somebody who's actually trying to search for a bit of wisdom. Because I, I was never really satisfied with the places where I sat. Mm. Because when I sat down there for long enough, I got bored, and I I got 
you know, agitated. I wanted to move to something else. But, you know, when I started writing The Poet and the Sage, and, and, and I use this not to just bring the book into the conversation, but because it's very important to me personally, is when I started writing The Poet and the Sage, I thought I was going to write I thought I was going to write a, bo- a book about stoicism. You know, I thought I was going to write the t- here's your 10 steps, how to be a stoic. And then when I actually started writing, I thought, no, let's just let go a bit. Let's just see what comes out. And what started flowing out of me was poetry and prose. That's, that's just what happened. Right. And I, and so I, I literally felt like I was sitting back watching myself and thinking, wow, for my whole life, I never read poetry. I never wanted to read it. But my dad is a beautiful poet. He writes poems about everybody in the family. He, he has such a way with words. I was never really interested. But then when I started writing poetry, I was like, I get it. I hmm. like, he's passed on something through my genetics. Like, it's in my bones to write this way. And when I started writing in that way, like I can tell you, so I wrote this book and it was the easiest thing I've ever done. Editing it was rough, but nonetheless enlightening because, you know, this thing pours out of you and then you start reading it over and over again and you start to actually understand what it is and and how the pieces fit together. But since then, I mean, like in the past three or four months, I've written, um, I would say about 200 poems. And, and that's, that to me is proof that I've found a place to sit because (laughs) this is a place where I can say, I'm going to, I'm actually going to do this. And this is going to be a life's career. The same happened with music, you know? Um, And if I can just quickly share this as well, because I think it's important. It's like, I, I went to university for piano, sorry, for, for trumpet and singing. Um, but I always had a little bit of a thing for the piano. When I was younger, my parents put me in lessons for piano because they could see that I had a skill. And when I went to lessons, the teacher tried to get me to play these notes in this way and do this and do that. And I just lost my interest. I was bored. I didn't want to learn how he wanted me to learn. So I gave it up. But last year, I started asking myself, thanks to the wisdom of Miles Davis, I was like, hang on, no, I'm not a jazz trumpeter. I'm a musician or I'm a creative person. I don't have to limit myself to those things. And when I did that, I started to think, I love piano. And I can tell you that after I I bought myself a piano, spent way too much money, but it was the best investment I made because after, I would say, six months, I had practiced piano more in those six months than I had practiced trumpet or singing in my entire life. And I have a degree in those things. Wow! <laughs> and that again was proof to me that like, here's a place where you can sit because it's easy for you and you're going to excel at it because it's what truly aligns with your nature. So, you know, with piano and poetry, I'm starting to finally discover the places where I can truly sit within myself and how this relates to people who are listening at home. It's like, it might not be piano or poetry for you, but maybe you need to play around a little bit in your life until you finally find that thing where you feel as though you're in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing in the right mindset. And it feels like something like alignment or some personal moment of enlightenment. So that's what it's been like for me. So yeah, yes, I've always felt that, (laughs) but I'm very fortunate. Yeah. For someone listening that is interested in, interested in finding a, a passion 
I, I think as I hear you talk about that, I think of this St. Ignatius quote, I, I believe it's like, where you feel most alive, you know, like what really sets you on, on fire? Like, how do you think about that as you're working with people or, or life and, and wisdom of being things that are, or maybe hobbies that, that really provide a, a lot of meaning in your life? Or should this be something that has to be a, a some sort of full-time endeavor? How, how do you think about that out of curiosity? Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's a massive philosophical question, right? Yeah. It's like, do I, um, it, it's kind of the question that uh, Jordan Peterson wrestles with in one of his rules in his books. He says, uh, you know, do what is meaningful, not what is expedient. You know, we're, I think that uh, there are so many people out there who are in that, that, that wrestling of, should I do what is, what feels truly meaningful to me or should I do what is expedient? And look, as with all things, it's probably going to be a balance of both, you know, like, like you, but what I will say is that you need, you need to feed that part of yourself that gives you deep meaning, even if it means that you do it after work or, you know, it's like you need to find a way to feed that. Um, and I don't, you know, I'm young. I haven't experienced the horrors of the world in the same way that many have. You know, I probably haven't uh, had the same fear of God, as you might say, that many have, have come to in terms of recognizing that life doesn't care about your talents and hobbies and your, you know, the things that are most meaningful to you. It's it's going to crush you in a way. Like, I, I recognize that and I'm fully aware that... Um, Look, in 20 years' time, I may find myself moving away from poetry and music and these things in order to jump into a corporate career that can be more sustaining for me and my family. I understand that. But but while I'm here, I, I feel as though I have this unique pocket of time where I have a responsibility, seeing as I have found something that I'm so passionate about that actually aligns with my talents as well. If you, if you're, here's what I'd say. If you're sitting at home and you're lucky enough to be in a position where you have a pocket of opportunity to actually allow those talents to come out into the world and to really put your whole heart and soul into it, that's a massive responsibility, you know, because I haven't yet thought to the limits. I haven't yet pushed the limits of my thinking on this question, but I always have this question, which is essentially, um, how good could things be if people actually decided to listen very closely to that part of themselves that if they were able to pull it up from the depths and allow it to go out into the world, it would contribute in the way that only they could contribute to the world. Like how good would could the world become if we would actually listen to that part and allow it to come out of ourselves? And and how? See, I I, I truly believe that we're living through a time where we're seeing the effects of people, in general, choosing expedience over what is meaningful. I think that we're living in that time where we're starting to see people way more than off uh, way more than not choose expedience and i don't know if that's good for the hive of humanity you might say so mm. i guess what i'm saying is i completely understand people who choose to um who who 
are in whatever circumstance in their life where they might feel as though they can't necessarily dedicate the time to their their passions, their talents, what is most meaningful to them. I get it. But if you have that opportunity, I think you have a responsibility to take it, you know, and to see what you can make of it. Yeah. It seems like Seneca was writing about that very thing, you know, a couple thousand years ago and on the shortness of life. It's uh, it's amazing that that was, you know, written so long ago. It seems like it could be, uh, you know, modern day. Um, to the book, this the poet and the sage. Could you speak a little bit about the the format uh, of the book? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, it's it's written in a, a mixture of poetry and prose, and uh, as I said, that was simply the the language that came out. <laughs> and, and I think it's because, uh, you know, I, I, I felt a deep sense that what I wanted to do, if, if I was going to do anything, if I was going to write anything, I wanted it to be, uh, grappling with questions that were truly important, truly meaningful and, and truly worth reading, you know, reading about. And I think, um, you know, I'm glad that the natural language was poetry other than the fact that, you know, of course, um, it's just aligned with my nature. Um, but I'm glad because poetry seems to be a language where you can, you can, you know, it, it's like, uh, oh, what's his name? David Campbell. David Campbell. Is that the right? Di- Joseph Campbell. <laughs> what am I saying? Joseph Campbell. That's the one. He talked about how poetry allows the reader to go on an adventure, um, and to, to, to constantly be wondering if they've arrived or if they're the fool, you know, it's like, you, you know, you, there's, there's poetry within the poetry and then there's poetry within that poetry. And, and so with the symbolism of the, the, the poet and the sage, um, and the, and the kind of in-depth metaphor, uh, what I find so interesting about this book is that it, it can kind of connect you to a lot of deep symbolism that flows throughout a lot of di- different cultures. You know, if, if you see yourself as sort of a vessel for the information that has poured into your mind, into your body throughout your entire life and throughout your genetic history, it's like what seems to come out in, in a lot of poetry. And, and, and what I hope is that it comes out in this poetry for people is a kind of archetypal voice of the ages. You know, there's, there's deep archetypal symbolism that connects you to, uh, certain other poetry, you know, sacred poetry and all sorts of things. And so I think the the format is important because it speaks to the kinds of questions that I'm trying to answer anyway. I I made a note here of some things that I that I noticed in in reading it is around perspective, perception, listening and it connects with what you what you said that initial information changes situations i i very much connect with in in terms of uh philosophy of life we think about that oftentimes we talk about principles or virtues or ethics uh practices but to me it it seems like a part of that that you know, some people call it like metaphysics. I, I, I think of it just like perspective, like how we're seeing ourselves, how we're seeing the world, how we're receiving, you know, this information. How are we taking it in? How, how do you see that and how do you see it connecting to, to wisdom? 
I think it's certainly reasonable to uh, to assume that what we are, if we're anything, is kind of these foragers of information. You know, from the day we're born, we're like looking for information that can feed into this this system. Um, and and for me, you know, even just uh, you know the process of kind of writing poetry, it's kind of like it's allowing myself to get out of the way of that information forager, you know, like to, to get out, to get my overthinking mind and my constant, you know, back and forth, you know, wandering to just get out of the way and to allow whatever, uh, you know, whatever it is that I am to figure something out through whatever language I speak. And so, uh, you know, that's why you'll see in the book that it kind of jumps between different formats is because like, I wasn't trying to say, well, here, I'm going to do this and here, no, let's speak in whatever way best communicates the information that I'm trying to forage for. But, you know, I think if we see ourselves in that way, I think it's helpful because then you start to see that in every single time and place in your life, there is an op- there's an opportunity to see something different, to hear something different, you know, to feel something different. It, and and what, what starts to happen, and this is certainly what I've noticed, and, and I hope this is helpful to people because, man, like if, if there's one thing that I really want to help people with, it's, it's like, it's that, it's how can you, how can you take in more or probably a better way to put it is better information at any point in your life. You know, when I started really thinking of myself like that, thinking, yeah, you, okay, what I am is this this thing that's kind of seeking after certain forms of information. And, and the information that I seek after is not going to be the same that you seek after or that somebody else seeks after. It's like I'm a unique individual that is after my own kind of path, right? So I started stepping back and watching myself and I could see that I was getting more out of music. I was getting more out of my reading. I was I was starting to finally read poetry, you know, after I had started writing it. And and I was I was getting so much more. I would go out into nature and I would come back from my walks in nature with, you know, dozens of photographs of minute little details in the flowers and I became obsessed with taking photos of wildflowers in our in our local area and all of a sudden it's like my whole life I had climbed the mountains of the Sunshine Coast. And then within a year, I was seeing these stunning wildflowers everywhere that I'd never seen before. And so it's not clear to me that we, that we, that we, well, it's not the case. We don't see everything. And that's, that's because humans, you know, our mind is literally programmed to shut out irrelevant information. So if, if you're not seeking it, you're not going to see it. <laughs> and so, and so I started seeing more. I started hearing more. I started experiencing and feeling more. I started learning what it feels like to actually be in the right place at the right pl- time doing the right thing. So I think that, I, I don't know, like this idea that we are kind of information foragers and look, that's not all we are. Like th- th- let's, there's lots of deep metaphysical, theological, philosophical conversations we could have. But this idea seems to me to be helpful because then it puts you in the place where you can say, well, if that's the case, what would I have to do to allow that capacity to expand? You know, how does that connect with this term alignment that 
you know, you mentioned you do alignment coaching and that word comes up, uh, you know, throughout, what does that mean to you? When I started, um, calling myself an alignment coach, I actually can't remember the specific point when that started to happen. When I said, this is what I'm doing, but I had this vague idea. It's like, you know, what, what I'm trying to help people to do is to bring together the wisdom of the, their culture to, to, to utilize that wisdom for themselves, to help people go on their own path to, um, to find a deeper sense of meaning in their lives. But I think, um, you know, and this is something that I've been kind of wrestling with the book in the book and people will, will see this if they read it is there's, there's kind of three elements in, in the book that the poet kind of wrestles with. You've got nature, you've got culture and you've got the logos or wisdom or, or, you know, uh, potentially God or, uh, you know, this, this higher aim, you might say. And I'm interested with how, how those three things interact. You know, I, it came to me in a moment of inspiration one day where I kind of nature, culture, what are these, you know, nature, culture, nature, culture, it kept on going back and forth in my mind. I started to think these are this. It's very important to to look at these three areas because our nature. You know, for, for me, I, there's this idea in the Stoics, right, where they say the highest aim is to be in agreement with nature, right. One of the things that means is you want to be kind of you want to be in touch with your own nature. Who are you? Uh, you know, they would say uh, to 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 understand that, or to to develop a communion with that spark of divinity that is within you that connects you to the whole. If you can truly connect with what is truly you, if you can understand who you are, and if you can live your life in such a way that brings out the absolute best of your own nature, that might be your talents, your skills, your natural abilities, the things that you're drawn to. You know, and and by the way, in order to actually learn the things that you're drawn to, you have to stop and listen and you have to pause and stop doing so much and actually allow yourself to listen to what you're drawn to. And so that's your nature. You know, you want to be aligned with your nature, who you are. And that kind of connects you to the nature of the whole and according to the Stoics. And then I thought about culture. You know, you want to be in, you, you don't want to be a cynical, you know, critic of your culture, just constantly spitting venom on it. It's like, your culture, you know, hopefully no matter how bad your culture is, if you can become good at sifting the wheat from the chaff, you can find the, the, you can find that which is most sacred within your culture that has been handed down over the millennia. You know, it's like you, you can find what is good about your culture in the books, in the music, in the, in the art, you know, in it, there's so much on offer, you know, and, and I feel especially lucky living in Australia and we've got the influence of America as well. It's like our, our cultures, look at what they're doing. They're trying to prop up the best information that we can all hang on to and say, this is what's worth keeping. And so in a sense, you need to get involved in your culture and find a way that your nature can contribute to your culture as well. And you need to line those two up. And then you might want to, in order to bring those two together, you might want to seek something higher like wisdom or like the logos or, you know, like God, something, something that's going to pull you to a higher aim so that you don't 
so that you're not walking along this path naively, so that you've got a little bit of the, the, the wisdom of the past at your disposal. And so there's something about, see, I'm grappling with this idea of alignment. And I do this in The Poet and the Sage, and I'm constantly doing this with my clients. My clients know that whatever it is that I'm doing with my clients, it's not me telling them how to live the perfect life. It's me having a conversation with them about how we might both live a better life. And so alignment has something to do with when your nature and your own unique contribution perfectly aligns with perhaps how you can contribute in your culture and you're led by better wisdom that is pulling you upwards. It's, it's this, it's kind of like the straight and narrow path that we're all trying to walk and it's impossible to do so without falling by the wayside, but we try, you know, that, and so that's what I'm kind of wrestling with. I would say. I'm interested in that culture that you speak of and how do you think about the, you know, the idea of, of stoicism, what's up to us, what's not up to us. I would think that the culture in working with people might be a difficult part to, to get in alignment. Any, any thoughts of how you might wrestle that or integrate wisdom to it? You're talking about, um, uh, in terms of like, obviously we're dealing with something that is completely external to us and yet, you know, has formed us in many ways, but we're, we're up against a crazy world that is broken in many ways that, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that, um, honestly, the, 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 the philosopher who I consider to have come closest to a wise opinion on this. And look, I've mentioned him multiple times and I've, I've been on kind of a Jordan Peterson kick, you know, just really getting into his stuff. But one of the great things that he does is he says to people, listen, yes, the culture is broken. And it's always been broken and it will always be broken. That's a given. Like you don't have to be, you don't have to be an intellectual to point out that your culture's broken. In fact, it's probably the easiest thing that anybody could ever state. But there's also something about it that you can find. Again, it's like that, you know, it's kind of like the golden, like there's something in your culture that you can find that is of worth, you know, because we're all trying to push this the best of information up. I think I actually think that another idea to add to this is one from Marcus Aurelius. You mentioned the Stoics, and I'll bring him into this. He has this great quote that modern Stoics often mention, and it's in, I think it's actually the first verse of his second book in his Meditations. He says, essentially, I'm going to paraphrase it, but he says, when you wake up in the morning, remember that today you're going to face people who are annoying, ignorant, you know, uh, uh, vindictive, and you know, he starts labeling all these things. It's like, you're going to face some really annoying people today. But then he said, we need to remember that actually we're made to work together. You know, like the Stoics had this idea that we are, we're social creatures. We're meant to learn how to live in harmony with each other. And we need to learn how to do that. And we need to learn how to do it wisely. And like Jung said, we need to learn how to do that wisely really quickly because our technological advancements are getting way out of hand. And, and if we don't become wise in learning how to actually live with each other in a harmonious way, we're going to end up killing ourselves. And so, you know, Marcus Aurelius said, hey, we're supposed to work together. We're like the right and the left hand, you know, like they might be annoying and arrogant and deceitful and all these things. They might lie to you. They might kick you. It's like, but you're made to work together. So deal with that. 
take responsibility for that. See what you can do to make the situation better. So I don't know, like I think, I think, and, and, you know, we live in a, we live in an age where I think cynicism is becoming the dominant philosophy. And I think that's really unfortunate because man, our cultures have so much to offer. And, and I think that you wouldn't be doing this podcast unless you believed that there was something to offer in this culture that we're a part of, you know, and, and, and I think that that's a beautiful thing. And this is why I just, you know, like, yeah, get involved in the conversation in no matter, no matter what way you do it, just get involved in your culture in some way. There's always something that you can do to improve it rather than to drag it back down. It is, it is really interesting. I think of wisdom and love. If I reflect back on my, you know, kind of working and, uh, you know, for the government, I spent my adult life in the, um, us military and two words that are probably in my mind, kind of the most important to, to have conversations about wisdom and love. They're not necessarily mentioned. It's kind of, a you know, neither one are, are, are really discussed. Um, the passage that you mentioned of, of Marcus Aurelius, when you think it, it's often quoted, it's mostly just that first part, like the whole second part that yes. you laid out. Um, so it, it plays into maybe some of that cynicism, just that first part. But then the, the second part is, is the wisdom. That's the, the beautiful aspect of it. He, you know, he's one with, with all of those people. Um, yeah. It, but it makes me think in terms of the... He tells both sides of the story, right? Yeah. You've got to tell both sides of the story. Yeah, people suck. Of course they suck. Yeah. But what are you going to do about it? Yeah. <laughs> like, you're just going to sit there on, you know, and just and just critique people all day? It's like, that, there's nothing good in that. There's nothing good in that. Yeah, sorry, go on. <laughs> and, I mean, to, to look at... So one of the things I, I really like about Seneca, and I'm not as familiar as Seneca as, as you are... Um, but it's this idea that, yeah, we do as well. You know, it talks about more or less we're all we're all sinners. Like the sage doesn't exist. It comes around once every five hundred years, and I think that's the interesting thing of, like, if you mention in terms of alignment or philosophy of life, it is a bit humbling if you try to create something to follow. You are often hit with how difficult that actually is. Um, so, you know, and I think probably Marcus Aurelius, if you look at other passages, you know, he's realizing the same, same thing that, you know, we obviously have our, our shortfalls. Um, this master of yeah. divinity that you're pursuing, what are you, what are you hoping to, to learn there? And what gave you the, you know, the inspiration to embark that journey? Well, yeah, I think, what am I hoping to learn? I think more than anything, I'm, I'm hoping to be transformed. You know, again, going back to what I said at the start, you know, I'm hoping to become something different as a result of what I confront, confront in this, in this study, because, you know, I, and, and in many ways, you know, writing the poet and the sage was actually a massive catalyst for me making that choice, sorry, to, to actually, go and study this because I, when I wrote this book, I, I started thinking, yeah, you know, never wanted to write poetry, never liked it, never read it, you know, and then all of a sudden 
this poetic voice just emerges from the depths of my soul and starts going on and, and, and you start thinking, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe if this is the language that I'm writing in, I would want to get a deep, see, I, I, I kept on saying to people when I was writing, I, I said, I'm probably going to spend about a year writing this and then the rest of my year trying to figure out what the hell it means or <laughs> what the hell it, you know, the book is about. <laughs> and doing a Master of Divinity is my next step towards getting a better understanding of the metaphorical tradition of our culture, which spans, you know, thousands of years. Um, and so, you know, like, I mean, I, I grew up as a Mormon, you know, I, I, I went to church every Sunday, you know, went, went to youth nights. I, you know, all of that stuff. I went to seminary with my church, but I, you know, I like many people, um, fell away from my faith when I was younger, um, uh, really out of, you know, th there was an element of cowardice. I thought it was moral superiority, you know, at the time, but yeah, I look back and I think it was probably a bit of cowardice. It was a bit of, um, it was a lack of wisdom on my part. You know, I couldn't sift the wheat from the chaff. You know, I think of all the people who would get up there and bear testimony in church. And then later on, you'd find out that they were, you know, scamming people out of money or abusing their kids or, you know, worse. And so I was faced with that and I became cynical, you know, and, and look, when I left the church, I had nothing, I had nothing bad to say about the church. And I never have, I've never, I've never tried to pull people away from their faith, but for me, I fell away. And I still haven't sat back in it, you know, church. I've, I've been into many cathedrals and I, I love being in sacred architecture and I love the idea of the temple and the cathedral and these things. But I haven't been back to church and, and I don't know if or when I will, but this, this path of, of theology seems to me to be, I'm, I can see that in our culture at the moment, there's a deep cynicism about religion, but like culture you know, we need to say, yeah, okay, yes, there's a lot of terrible people in religion. Yes, there's a lot of problems, as there always will be, and as there always has been. But we better not be too sure that, you know, we're not leaving behind something of extreme worth and value. So I'm going into my Master of Divinity with the question, what is it that is so deeply important and sacred about, you know, our religious structures. And, and I'm interested in Taoism and Hinduism and all sorts of, you know, I'm interested in religion as such, right? Um, or sacred ideas as such. Um, so I'm kind of going into it thinking maybe if there's anything that, you know, it, it's, it's again, it's a part of that being pulled in this direction. I feel like I'm being pulled in this direction and this is where I want to go and I'm loving it. You know, mm. I'm absolutely loving it. Just, just learning about these ideas and reconnecting with that metaphorical tradition, which I grew up with. That's awesome. I've got a question for you around that as a starting point for, for someone listening that is maybe, you know, pick the theology type of thing path, but it may be, but I think of sometimes of, of stoicism, you could spend a year, and, and really read quite a bit and have a, a great understanding of what it's about, how to, how to integrate it and, and everything like that. But some of these other, like if we use Christianity as the example, 
I mean, it's just a huge amount. Like, you know, where do, where do you start? There's just so many, um, different things. Is there anything that's kind of touched you along the way for someone listening that may not be familiar, but a good starting point that, you know, clearly communicates what it's about and, uh, you know, the, the wisdom of it. Look, I can only say what I did and what I did was I just jumped straight into the, the ancient texts and I've been thinking lately about why the ancient texts seem to <clears throat> speak to me a little bit more than a lot of modern authors. And I think that it has to do with that. Um, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to figure out exactly what it is that I'm trying to say in this, but there seemed to be soul in their writing, you know, with, with somebody like Seneca, you know, I mentioned this actually just a couple of hours ago in another interview, uh, you know, Seneca wasn't writing his epistles because a, um, because a marketing company or a publishing company said, Hey, listen, there's a real market for stoic literature out there at the (laughs) moment. So we really want you to write a book about stoicism. He wasn't doing it because of that, you know, Heraclitus wasn't writing his wisdom poetry because the publisher wanted some poetry. They were writing it because it was a vehicle for them to express the deepest yearnings of their soul, the deepest questions of their soul. They were going, they were trying to figure something out in a poetic, beautiful way. You know, Seneca was a master of words. Marcus Aurelius, his, his, his writings, you know, Marcus Aurelius is, is so akin to wisdom poetry. You know, it's just so mystical. He says, you know, the body is a river, the soul, a dream and mist. You will not find a modern author writing something like the body is a river, the soul, a dream and mist when they're writing a book about stoicism. You won't find that. But they they write these things, and they write these things that make you pause and go, "What the hell does that mean?" <laughs> you know, like, like, what does it mean that the body is a river, the soul a dream of mist? That one that's been on my mind for ages, you know. But if you sit with these kinds of writers, these ancient writers who had soul, who had deep yearning for wisdom, that's it, right? Not deep yearning for a book deal, deep yearning for wisdom. Man, like if you sit with those writers long enough, you start to learn some things about wisdom. And it's like, you know, if if you want wisdom, it's not easy to find. <laughs> it's like, and it's uh, it's not clear what it is, you know, um, and it's easy to be, uh, it's easy to go down wandering paths, uh, you know, far away from wisdom. But, you know, I always find that going to Seneca or Marcus Aurelius or Epictetus or, you know, now I'm finding, uh, I'm rekindling my love of sacred texts like the Bible. I love the Tao Te Ching, these sorts of things. It's like Santana, he said of Miles Davis's music, Santana said that I go back and listen to Miles Davis because after eating and drinking a whole bunch of soda and burgers and stuff, sometimes you just have to go back to water, right? You go back to water. To me, the ancient texts are like the water for my soul. You know, it nourishes me. And so, and, and this I'll also say, I just, I want to make this clear as well as you make this point, And I think you're exactly right. It's like, there's so much information out there. How on earth are we supposed to figure out where to start with something like this? 
And that's why I'd actually say to people, this is why you need to learn how to listen to yourself before you start just jumping out there and saying, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what, even though I would absolutely say, if you haven't yet learned to listen, just start doing something because it's better than not doing anything. But learn how to listen to what you feel drawn to. Do you feel drawn? Like when you walk into a bookstore, which aisle do you go to? You know, not because you should, but because you just want to. Which book sticks out to you? Great, get that one. Whatever one calls out to you. I actually think, you know, I'm less inclined to give people recommendations, but, but more inclined to say, learn what it feels like to actually know that you're being called in a certain direction be prompted by what you read, you know, like what is it, where does it take you? You know, what book do you want to read next? You know, see, see what information calls out to you. Then you're going to go on your own unique journey through the roots of your culture. Um, and that's way more exciting than going to a book list and saying, oh, I'm just going to read these, you know, like now go on your own adventure. It's so much fun. When you explore these many dif- different paths, do you see a lot of, similarities in overlap like you mentioned heraclitus pre-socratic 500 years before um before christ shows up quite a few times throughout meditation seems to be someone that's um influenced much of of meditations but do you see a, a lot of overlap even when it comes to like eastern philosophy uh saints and mystics stoics how do you see it yeah yeah absolutely it's the overlap is it's uncanny and and what i what i think is so great about the time that we're living in is we have a real opportunity here where you know 100 200 only 100 years ago right it's like you had hinduism over here you had christianity over in these parts and you know there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of communication between them. Now with the internet, it's like we can see everything and we can start to pull together the wisdom of the ages that have been kept by all cultures and all, all people. It's very interesting. But one, one thing that I think is really important to note is that, well, I'm going to put it like this. I had, I had this kind of artistic vision the other night, just this, you know, from time to time, an image just pops up before you and it's like, oh, something's important about that. So I went and scribbled it down, you know, and this, this, this image that kind of came to my mind was these very wavy seas at night, you know, like just, just these huge waves. And there was a big wave in the middle. And at the top of that wave, it was this shining light, you know, this, 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 just beautiful golden light on top, right? So it was kind of gliding on the top of this giant wave. And I kind of thought that that's exactly what's going on throughout our culture, throughout history, right? What's happening is if you watch humanity from afar and you see us over the ages and you think like, what the heck are we doing? We're all trying to hold above the flood what is most sacred, most true, most beautiful, most worthy, uh, most wise, you know, we're, we're trying to hold the, the best possible thing above that flood of time. You know, Heraclitus, he said, you know, that it's like we're standing in a river, right? The river that glow, flows past us is constantly changing. It's not the same river now that it was a few seconds ago because the water's different. 
And he said that you're always changing. You know, our bodies, like every seven years they rejuvenate. Everything in this world that we're in is in a state of flux, constantly changing. And that's like a flood, you know, it's like, it's, it's like, it's like if, if we're in a, if the, if the most fundamental statement you can make about reality is that everything changes at all times, then it's our job to figure out how do we stand on firm foundation in a, in, in a reality that is constantly changing. What is firm, what is right, what is true, what is sacred, what is honorable, what is, what is the best, you know? And so it seems that when you have that view of history, it makes perfect sense why everywhere where you find humans, you'll find commonalities in the wisdom that we pass on through the ages, because what we're all trying to do is find those things that truly work. And if I could give one more, this is actually a passage from the Bible that hit me like a ton of bricks. It was, it's in Isaiah and, and Isaiah says something like, uh, God, when your judgments fall upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness, right? And I, I just thought that's exactly like life is. It's like we're constantly hitting things and sometimes things hit back. And that's a judgment from reality. It's literally a judgment from reality saying, you're wrong, I'm right. So get it right next time. And what we do is say, I'm not going to hit that again. Now I've learned righteousness, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so it seems to me like over history, what we're trying to do is we're hitting things constantly and we're being hit back by nature or by culture or by people or by just, you know, the inevitable blows of fate. And we learn righteousness. And that's that shining thing that's sitting at the highest wave in the wavy oceans that, you know, it's it's like the thing we're trying to hold above so that it stays alive. And I think, again, that's kind of what I'm trying to do with my Master of Divinity is maybe to see what it is that we're trying to keep alive that maybe the mockers are trying to kill at the moment. Mm. So, yeah. I love it. Well, the, the conversation definitely flew by, um, and it's been great. Where can people uh, learn more about you? Well, yeah. Joshua, seriously, this has been so much fun. Um, I was, I will admit I was nervous about this. This is my kind of first interview, uh, after, you know, kind of a hiatus from interviews, but, um, uh, yeah, man, this has been great. And I really want to have you on my show as well, if we can arrange that. Cause I know that I've done a lot of speaking today. I'd like to give you a <laughs> chance to do the same because I, I imagine there's a lot of wisdom that you have that I haven't even had access to today. Um, but I, I guess if people want to find out what I'm doing, I will let them know that, um, so I've actually recently started a collaboration with a philosopher, Kai Whiting from the UK, an amazing person who is so passionate about the philosophy of stoicism, um, but also just wisdom in general. And uh, I'm also working with uh, a wonderful writer from the States. Uh, her name is Sharon LaBelle. Um, she compiled this beautiful collection of Epictetus's writings called The Art of Living. Um, and Kai Whiting's book as well is called... Uh, being better stoicism for a world worth living in nonetheless i'm doing this collaboration with them both it's at the walledgarden.com so that's all part of the podcast um but we're just going to be there um uh you know host, hosting meetups with people posting our own writings and poetry and music and just pushing the boundaries of our own thinking so i would say that if people want to find out what i'm doing philosophically they go there 
And if they just want to connect with me a little bit more, they can go to simonjedrew.com. Um, but both of those websites will have everything they need to know about the poet and the sage and other works that I'm doing. So I'll just leave it at that. All right. Love it. Simon, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. You can get the show notes and links to resources mentioned at perennialleader.com slash podcast. If you're interested in learning more, subscribe to The Path. It's our free weekly newsletter. These are short reflections on wisdom for everyday life right to your inbox. And lastly, I urge you to put what you heard into practice. Until next time, be wise and be well. Be well.